the morning, I invite you to open up your Bibles to John chapter 11, verses 28 through 37, which can be found in your Pew Bibles on pages 897 and 898. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. When she had said this, she went out and called her sister Mary, saying privately, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not come to the, yet come to the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now when Mary had come to Jesus, where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who were there had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, Could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have also kept this man from dying? May God bless our understanding of this reading from his holy word. Keep your Bibles open as we pray. Father, as your word has been read, and now I stand um, to proclaim your word, I pray that we would see Jesus Christ this morning with the eyes of faith, that the eyes of our heart would be enlarged and enlightened that we might be able to grasp how wide and how long and how high and how deep is Christ's love for us. We pray in His name. Amen. Most of you know that I've been to Uganda uh, twice with Dr. Henry Krabendam, and this was about 25 years ago. Um, I went for a month each time for two consecutive years. And one morning while I was there, I awoke to the strangest of sounds. Uh, being in such a different culture and on the other side of the world, you, know, you can already imagine uh, how difficult it is to wake up and, and have a sense of yourself and know where you, you are. Uh, but this particular morning was uh, unique. Because unbeknownst to me, a woman in the room next to me had died of AIDS during the night. Uh, we were staying in a Christian guest house in the town of Soroti. And uh, this Christian guest house was really amounted more to a Christian compound of about 40 to 60 people uh, within the town of Soroti. And uh, so it was like a little Christian village within the town. And this woman that had died had been uh, a prostitute for many years in this town. But she had become a Christian a few years earlier. And she had uh, actually become a tremendous witness uh, in the town. And uh, the Christians had fallen in love with her 
the ladies in particular um, had invited her to live at the guest house because she had no way of uh, supporting herself. And so uh, her faith in Christ just endeared her to everyone. And I could go and tell stories that I had heard about her from uh, different of the Christians uh, after she had died. But anyway, news of her death had spread through the the um, through the guest house before I had awakened, and so uh, ladies had gathered outside her window, out in the little courtyard, to grieve for her. And you've never heard such a commotion. Uh, you can imagine what it was like to waken, uh, to to be awoken at uh, such a sound. And especially since there was no glass in the window panes. And so it was like these ladies were almost in the room with me. Um, and there were about 15 or 20 ladies outside. And they were grieving. And, and it wasn't just sobbing. It was wails and, uh, and cries. And this lasted for about 20 minutes. And then after 20 minutes, is all this, they, they suddenly stopped. And then they began singing Christian hymns. And they sang one hymn after another, after another, for about 20 minutes. And I'm laying in bed, and I'm kind of taking all this in. And then I noticed that these ladies got up and they left so that another crew of ladies could come in and start the process all over again. A lot of wails and cries and and then um, transitioned eventually into... Uh, very sweet-sounding hymns. It's quite a contrast for the ladies to wail so loudly, but then to break in such sweet sounds of faith as they sing those hymns. The reason I tell you this story is that these ladies provide for us a tremendous illustration of how Christians are to view death. On the one hand, as I've been saying the past two Sundays, Death is simply a transition into glory. It is a doorman that ushers us into the presence of our Lord and Savior. And so death is not something to be feared. In fact, we read in our responsive reading that one of the reasons Jesus came here to earth and took on human flesh was to conquer death and so deliver us from the fear of death. The apostles John and Peter and Paul, they followed Jesus' lead as Jesus would talk about death as being asleep. Um, they said the same things. They referred to death for a Christian as sleep rather than a horrible conclusion to one's life. The ladies, as they broke into the hymns of faith, as they mourned, they captured beautifully the Bible's view of death for a Christian. The death of a Christian is properly observed with praise and with thanksgiving to God. But the Bible also views death as an enemy. 1 Corinthians 15.26 says that the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Uh, the Bible also views death as a punishment for sin. 1 Corinthians 15.56 The sting of death is sin. Uh, Romans 6.23, most of our children, I'm sure, would be able to quote it. The wages of sin 
is death. And so the, the payment that we receive because of sin is death. The Bible also says that death is unnatural. It was not the original destiny of man. Death broke into the world because man sinned against God. Romans 5.12 Sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. So the ladies outside my window there in Uganda 25 years ago, I guess now, properly responded to the death of their beloved sister by wailing loudly. They were truly going to miss her. Yet they did not grieve like those who have no hope. They concluded their cries with sounds of joy that were directed toward God. This goes almost without saying, but I feel the need to say it anyway. It is not wrong to weep at a Christian funeral. And so we could even look at the example, not only of these ladies, but to the example of our Lord Jesus Himself. Look at verses 32 through 35. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw Him, she fell at His feet, saying to Him, Lord, if You had not been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews... And the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. I can identify two reasons in our text why Jesus wept. First, he wept at the sight of weeping human beings. Look again at verse 33. When Jesus saw her Weeping, and then also the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he's deeply moved. And so he sees Mary weeping. He sees her friends weeping. And he is deeply moved in his spirit. He was emotionally moved at the sight of Mary's grief and those who were mourning with her. I remember a, uh, a, a, a guy that I had led to, to Christ uh, while I was still in college. One of the first and most pressing questions that he had for me is, did Jesus ever smile? I'm like, what do you mean, did Jesus ever smile? He says, I've never seen any pictures where Jesus was smiling. I said, well, I've never really seen a picture of Jesus. Um, but the, the depictions that that people have uh, drawn of Jesus. He has this almost serene um, uh, look on his face, almost emotionless, where he's not really overjoyed and certainly not overcome with grief. And so this, this guy was asking me, Does Jesus, has Jesus ever smiled? And sometimes it might be tempting to think, that Jesus, because He's God, He's almost like a robot or something. That He's emotionless. But that, you see right here in our text, that, that is not the case. It says here that He was deeply moved. Uh, before I uh, go into that a little bit more, let me also point out that Mary's weeping here, the Greek word for, for her weeping, 
is the word that signifies that she was wailing loudly. In other words, her weeping was, and her crying was not quiet sobs, but it was more like these ladies in Uganda, wailing loudly. But when Jesus, as He's seeing their crying and their wailing, in verse 33, it says He's deeply moved. That's a very unusual word here. It's only used a couple of times in the, uh, in the New Testament. Outside of the New Testament in Greek literature, it was a word used for a horse that was snorting as it's running. And the uh, commentators have struggled with what, what this word signifies, what it means, what was happening in Jesus' soul when it says that he was so deeply moved with emotion. Um, the, the best descriptions that I've been able to come up with is that he had a profound, inarticulate groan within his soul. Um, it goes on to say, not only did he have, was he, was he deeply moved, but it goes on to say in verse 33 that he was greatly troubled. So on top of him being emotionally deeply moved, on top of that, the Bible even says he was greatly troubled. I think that the uh, commentator, I can't remember who it was, that uh, said that Jesus was so distressed that his whole body trembled seemed to come closest to what this passage um, means in terms of capturing Jesus' emotion. Such emotion at the sight of human grief some commentators suggested that Jesus was angry at Mary and the other um, ladies that were mourning and wailing so loudly. Even Leon Morris, who's one of my favorite commentators, suggested this, that Jesus was angry. But it seems to me that Jesus is not expressing anger. But rather, it seems to me that He's entering into the grief of Mary and these other mourners. He appears to be sympathizing with them rather than getting ready to rebuke them. And so our, our reading from Hebrews chapter 2 and also Hebrews chapter 4, chapter four is helpful in this matter. Uh, in verses 16 through 18, let me remind you of what we read earlier. For surely it is not angels that He helps, but He helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore He had to be made like His brothers in every respect, so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Because He Himself has suffered when tempted... He is able to help those who are being tempted. And then in chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, draw, uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help of need. In other words... This passage says that Jesus did not come here to earth and simply act like a human being. He became a human being. He remained God. And so He, he was and continues to be God and man forever. 
He came, as this past, these passages tell us, to share in our flesh and blood. He shared in our sufferings. He shared in our weaknesses. He shared in our temptations in every respect, the Bible says. Yet, He never sinned. He even shared in our death. He came, as it says, to... Um, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. This word propitiation uh, means to uh, turn away from wrath. And so our sins, if this were our book of sins, it rests upon us. Where is God's wrath rightly directed? It's directed at us. But what Jesus did on the cross 2,000 years ago was take our book of sins upon Himself. And God the Father punished Him for our sins. His wrath was turned away from us onto the Lord Jesus. And God punished Him in our place. How does uh, Isaiah 53 read? His punishment brought us peace. And so Jesus was made in every way like we are and shared in our death in order that we might live. I believe that Jesus was sharing in Mary's grief when He became so distressed that His whole body trembled. Jesus' display of emotion in verse 33 was all sympathetic. Jesus is our fellow sufferer. Jesus came to suffer that He might be qualified in every way to be our merciful and faithful High Priest before God in our behalf. He became qualified through His humanity to die in our place on the cross. Jesus also became qualified through His humanity to help us in our every circumstance. We typically flee uh, to the sovereignty of God as we trust God for our day-to-day -day lives. But it's equally beneficial to flee to the humanity of Jesus as our faithful and merciful High Priest. We have a Savior who knows personally and experientially our sufferings. He understands us. He has felt our grief. He has experienced our pains. He knows our weakness. He has entered into our temptations. He has the ability to sympathize with us. He has the capacity to share in our sorrows. Because Jesus has wept, He is able to wipe away our tears. When you believe your circumstances are uniquely difficult, and I know this is a temptation common to us all, to think that our suffering is worse than anybody else's, <coughs> but when you believe your circumstances are uniquely difficult, when you believe your weaknesses are particularly great, when you believe your burdens are remarkably heavy, when you believe your temptations are exceptionally uh, great and difficult, you are not walking on untried ground. Jesus has walked this path before you. And He has walked this path to make sure that you know that He is able to help you in your hour of need, no matter how difficult your life may be.
And so Jesus, we find him weeping at the tears of other human beings. On another level, however, it's a curious thing to see Jesus so overcome with emotion. You remember a couple of weeks back that Jesus purposely delayed in coming to Bethany. Why did He purposely delay in coming to Bethany? So that God's glory might be displayed. Well, what was Jesus' intention in waiting? He wanted Lazarus to die so that then He could raise him from the dead, display the glory of God. And so this is what's so curious. Is here He is, He purposely waited... Lazarus died. Jesus comes to town after, four days after Lazarus has been in the tomb, allowing his body to go into um, a full decomposition. And yet, when Jesus arrives in front of Lazarus' tomb, he weeps. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. And yet we find him weeping. Does that seem curious to you? And this brings us to the second reason that I was able to discern as to why Jesus wept. In verse, look at it again at verses 34 and 35. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. And so presumably, they went and they saw Jesus is now in front of Lazarus' tomb. And verse 35 simply says, uh, and very eloquently says, Jesus wept. He wept at the death of his beloved friend. I think there's a twofold reason then why Jesus is weeping at the grave. We've already touched on the first one. Jesus loved Lazarus. In fact, in verse 36, you see the people. Um, so the Jews said, see how he loved him. Let this be a token to you that Jesus loves all his people. That his love is not just a theoretical or a doctrinal love for you, but it's an emotional love for you. He loves you and enters into your sorrows and griefs. I think the second reason why Jesus is weeping at Lazarus' tomb is that Jesus views death as an enemy. Death is a destroyer that Jesus came to destroy. And as I thought about that this week, I've been, as I've been talking about death as a friend, as I've been talking about death as... Um, as part of God's grace that ushers you into His His glory, I've, I've preached before and said that uh, that um, death is God's greatest means of grace because when we die, He ushers us into perfection. But in saying that, and looking at how Jesus was moved to tears at this event, I thought. I need to talk about the other side of death as well. It's not just something that we as Christians get to experience in order that we might move into God's presence, but it's also an enemy. Death also is rightly grieved. Death is also, also rightly wept over. Our Lord Jesus 
shed tears because his beloved friend Lazarus died on the something. I don't know if I... uh, uh, something I read from Spurgeon just kind of went through my mind. Spurgeon said, um, oh, I can't remember. Uh, It was something about um, the fact that he shed tears uh, did not mean that he found fault. And the word tears was rhymed with fault, and I can't remember it. I shouldn't have brought it up. But... uh, but I do want to underscore, as I get ready to conclude this this uh, sermon, to say that um, what happens here in this life, even death that ushers us into God's presence, it matters. And I began thinking about that. As Jesus wept at Lazarus' tomb, it occurred to me, and I knew this, but I wanted to remind you of this, that everything matters here in this life. Death matters. Life matters. Everything in this life, because because Jesus Christ has entered into our life, because He ever lives to make intercession for us, because His Spirit lives in us, and because we live our lives in the light of God's presence, everything matters. Everything in this life which is temporal, has eternal significance. So don't make light of things that happen in this life. It is right to weep at the death of a loved one and go on from there. Remember, everything in your life has significance because God is here. And so even as I thought about it this week, even the, the, the daydreams that we have that no one else will know about or the thoughts that cross our mind that no one else will see, they all have significance. The things you do, the things you say, everything has significance. And everything that you do, say, Think everything in your life. Christ has entered into your life. He became a human being in order that He might be able to tread the path before you. Or as Hebrews goes on to say, to be the trailblazer, to open up heaven wide for us to follow Him in. I witnessed something, and this will—I'm going to conclude with this. But I witnessed something this week. Uh, I was—I took my mother-in-law's car up to the the shop to be repaired, and as I'm in the the waiting room, of course, I put my headphones on. I've got my Bible open. I'm doing sermon prep and all this stuff. Not really um, knowing everything else that's going on in the the little waiting room, but all of a sudden I became aware that there was some kind of commotion. And I've—I should have taken my headphones off, but I'm trying to figure this out uh, without sound. And finally, I did take my headphones off. And what had happened was there was an older gentleman that had come with his son to have the car repaired. And the repair technician had asked the son to come out and was speaking to him about his car. Well, it took a few minutes. 
and the older gentleman had become confused, really didn't know where he was. And um, a guy that was sitting, another older gentleman, realized this and came over and he put his arm, well, put his arm on the, the, the gentleman's shoulder and uh, put his other arm, grasped, with his other hand, grasped his hand. And the man, uh, as he's trying to get a sense of what's going on, he reaches up and grabs this gentleman's so, uh, shoulder, or arm. Two complete strangers. And they were looking at each other as if it was brother and brother. And I just, as thinking about this passage and seeing this happen, I thought, this is an eternal moment. This is a, this is a God moment. It, it just the significance of, of the way two strangers were loving each other and caring for each other. And then that's when it hit me. But every moment is like that. And it was underscored by the fact that the, the gentleman that had gotten up to help this, this gentleman who had gotten confused. He went back down and sat down and started doing what he was doing before. Like no big deal. And I thought, that was from the heart. And he's, it just, it was a moment that, uh, that spoke volumes to me. Every moment. Because Jesus Christ has come into this world. Every moment is lived in His presence. It is lived with Him who has, who is your faithful and merciful High Priest. It is lived with Him who has entered into your suffering, who has entered into your weaknesses, who has been tempted in every way that you are tempted. Don't ever think that you were alone in this world. Don't ever think that Jesus is, doesn't have His eye upon you. Don't ever think that His emotions aren't stirred because of you, because of His love for you. Jesus wept. And in so doing, He tells us everything in our life matters to Him. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, Even though we believe in the sovereignty of God that you have pre-planned everything from eternity. And even though we believe that you are always with us. It is easy to underestimate how intimately involved, in, involved you are in our lives. God, for those who are struggling under temptation as we all do, for those who are feeling especially burdened, for those who are feeling uh, acutely their weaknesses, remind them, remind us all that you are with us, that you will never leave us or forsake us. Remind us that you came here to earth to, t to take on flesh and blood, Take on um, to, to enter into our humanity in order that you might always be our merciful and faithful high priest. And so help us to trust in him and pray in his name. Amen.